welcome to the second panel. And uh, this panel will be all about carbon. And uh, we are going to talk about carbon emissions in particular. And as you know, there are a few things around the corner. And we will address this during our panel today. And uh, we have put together an excellent panel who is perfectly placed to discuss all about carbon. And I'll start from the very left-hand side. Yes, do the greetings. <laughs> and uh, that is Frederike Hesse. Frederike Hesse is uh, co-founder and managing director of 044. It's a Berlin-based startup that helps to manage and um, to uh, monitor CO2 emissions and uh, CII com uh, compliance. And then to the next, uh, we have Frederic Boutelier, who runs the shipping desk at Vertis. Uh, Vertis is a company that is specialized in emission trading and in um, certificate trading. And uh, Frederic, you might want to adjust that a little bit in your beginning, but that's fine. <laughs> and then we have uh, Tim Ponat. Uh, Tim is uh, a CEO of Raideri NSB. It's a full suite ship manager with more than 60 ships under contract right now. And then we have, um, uh, that is Sander Schakela, managing owner of JR Shipping from the Netherlands, managing a fleet of about 15 uh, modern uh, feeder vessels, mainly here in Europe. And then we have to my left-hand side, we have Jens, uh, Jens Arndt, who runs who is the managing partner of Fogelmann Reederei here in Hamburg. And Fogelmann Reederei is active in bulk shipping, and they have presently 15 ships in water and about 20 on order. So the panel, as I said, is all about carbon. And um, we all know that IMO has committed to decarbonize shipping until 2030. The carbon reduction has to be about 20%. And then... Net zero is envisioned for 2050, and in addition, and that will be the first topic of our discussion today, is European Union, and European Union has extended the emission trading in, to shipping. So it started from other industries, and now shipping is included in the so-called EU ETS. And EU ETS requires owners or their delegated companies to acquire emission allowances and to distribute those costs to the cargo owners and to their charters. And for a medium-sized shipping company, this could be a liability of several million US dollars every year. So with UATS around the corner, and we have only 54 days to go until it's going live, um, we have to look a little bit critical at how well is the German shipping industry and uh, the shipping industry globally prepared for EU ETS. And I'd like to start with the first question to Frederike. Frederike, <laughs> what do you think? How well is the industry prepared? Yeah, hi. Uh, good morning, everyone. I think what you left out in the introduction is that we're actually working on EU ETS uh, management with our company, and that's yeah. why I think that's the only reason I can answer this question, or <laughs> maybe try to, because we're talking, obviously, to a lot of shipping companies, be it owners, managers, um, charters, uh, about the regulation and their preparedness. Uh, and our perception is the level of preparedness is not very high because obviously shipping companies are always busy and the onshore teams have had limited time to get their heads around uh, the regulation. They've had li limited time to organize internal processes to deal with the new regulation. So that's the challenge in itself. And then we hear from our partners that it's 
It's hardly any charter agreements have been negotiated yet or closed yet where ETS is really agreed on, right? How do we want to organize this? Who is buying the certificate? Who is receiving them? And what rhythm do we want to settle this? There's a BIMCO clause for time charters, but it's hardly ever applied. In some cases, yes, but in the majority of cases, no. So we don't have the agreements in place, and there's only 54 days left. Have you calculated that? So that's, that worries us a bit. I think there's time to heal it in the first quarter, but it's probably good advice to everyone to, to really put focus on this topic now. Mm, yeah. I mean, that was a, that was a curveball, um, I think. <laughs> I think we have shipping companies on the panel. Um, Tim, I'd like to uh, follow up with you. Uh, how did NSB prepare for, NSB, uh, for EU ETS? And, and which are the biggest challenges that you are facing? So do you agree with Frederike? Uh, yes, uh, good morning from my side as well. So um, there's a saying that diamonds are created under high pressure. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, even though the, 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 the time is quite short, um, we had time to prepare ourselves and um, saying this, we have um, various aspects. So we have, of course, to apply all the systems, which is more an internal subject. And then, of course, we have to find agreements, as Frederick has said, with the charters um, on... Uh, how do we deal with the allowances? And of course, there is a wide variety of how they want to treat this and how they want to deal with it. And um, that's, for us, at least visible if you talk about CII. So that's, of course, uh, not on the agenda any longer. But um, if I see that for a few charters, I have not a solution for CII next year, for a few vessels which are not necessarily trading in A or B. So then I'm not coming to the point that I can talk about EU ETS yet. So and that's, that's the challenge I have. And um, in addition to Knut, what he said, what are the challenges of future? Um, beside crewing, I see it's the rules and regulations which we need to face with. And um, so from that point of view, um, there's still uh, something to do, but um, finally we we need to make it. So we need to make it happen, and there is no no choice, no no out, no way out for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you made any organizational changes, or has it had an impact on your business model so far? Um, what should I say? So. Um, looking to the past, maybe we are used to apply new things. So there was water, uh, ballast water um, uh, treatment systems where we were afraid in the very beginning or how does it work or even long time uh, earlier it was uh, very low uh, steaming. Then recently we had the sulfur cap so and a lot of people said oh well how does this work but the coming rules and regulation and especially if we see um, EU fuel maritime one year later. So there are, of course, uh, impacts on, uh, on our business. Is it on the business model itself? I wouldn't say so, but um, it's, of course, on uh, how do we operate vessels in the future and what is the lifetime? So how likely is it that an owner wants to invest in, in the upgrades needed Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I like the comparison from, uh, from Robert, and uh, this was exactly the figure I'm looking for because 
as we are operating as well older tonnage. So when, let's say, is the break-even of renewing a ship? Mm -hmm. So, um, and with the figures heard, so is it 20 years, is it 25 years, and um, what makes commercially sense? Mm. So, and that's, uh, that's the challenge. So I don't see a big impact on the business model itself, but we need to adapt, that's for sure. Thank you, Tim. Um, and uh, Jens, I think you're taking a, a little bit of a different perspective. You're, you're coming from the bulk sector. And um, how did you prepare for the CO2 challenge? I think you have a very special strategy here. Um, yeah, first of all, good morning. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for, for being here. Um, yeah, our strategy, uh, let's put it this way. Um, my favorite uh, rock band is called Guided by Voices. Mm -hmm. And my favorite song of this band is called I'm a Scientist. Mm -hmm. But I'm neither Guided by Voices nor I'm a Scientist. So our strategy is, is really pretty, pretty simple. We <clears throat> also don't have a crystal ball, but what we know, or what we believe to know is that uh, bunker prices, fuel prices, will only go in one direction mm -hmm. on the long term, and this is up. So what we did and what we decided is to, to go for the most fuel-efficient vessels uh, you can buy for money. And we are not in favor, at least not yet, to, to build or order dual-fuel vessels because we simply don't know what alternative fuel will make it. And, of course, we are, um, as you said, in the bulk segment. People might call Fogelmann a one-trick pony, so we are really only focusing on dry bulk. <laughs> and um, so the strategy is, is quite simple. Just mm -hmm. go for very fuel-efficient vessels, and we believe it's an investment case. Our vessels, just looking at the smaller vessels, Hennessy's bikers are consuming about 1,500, 1,600 tons fuel less than a standard vessel per year, which is about 5,000 tons carbon emissions per <coughs> per year less per vessel, and we believe it's, it's uh, an investment case. I wanted to say something to Frederica's comment about um, the BIMCO EU ETS clause in bike shipping. This is what we experience now. It's possible to, to mm -hmm. fix charters, and we are doing this right now. So I think we don't have the, an issue with the BIMCO mm -hmm. EU ETS clause. And charters accept uh, that they are eventually responsible. Yeah. So UETS clause is accepted. How about CII clause? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's not not that important for the time being. Yeah. Okay. We will touch <laughs> CII a little bit later. So let, let's focus on UETS. Um, so I think uh, it's great to hear also the perspective uh, from the bulk sector. And um, and Sander, you're you're in the very European and specialized feeder vessel market um, with your vessels. And uh, when you look at EU ETS um, and your fleet, how do you plan to, to comply and, and wh where do you see the main challenges for the feeder segment? Well, good morning. Mm. Um, throughout my life, I've been a fan of Mr. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he once spoke the wise words, if you want to be great, you have to eat, sleep, walk, talk, and dream it. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I don't have a clue yet how to be great with handling EU ETS. Mm -hmm. We are trying to educate ourselves, the staff members mm -hmm. within our company. We are trying to prepare, but we have the 
very big difficulty in our market segment that there is no consensus yet, or at least not a wide consensus, on how to approach things between, let's say, the tonnage providers and the charters. There are only few charters who have yet indicated how they imagine things to work in practice. But uh, with the vast majority of our clients, we don't have a clue yet. Yeah, so that's at least an additional challenge. Yeah, so that's a, a different uh, picture than from your market. Um, yeah, um, we are not that much stressed about uh, so many days to go until it's the 1st of January. Mm -hmm. Because at the 1st of January, not much changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the process after that point. And uh, you also touched on the, on the subject, uh, how does that impact uh, your business model or your shipping company? Yeah, I fully agree. There are lots of challenges coming up also, especially from regulations. And um, I think uh, we are a mid-sized company. Uh, we have 15 container feeder vessels, uh, some seven offshore wind surface vessels in addition. Um, yeah, um, I think it will have an, a material impact on the economics of our group companies because mm -hmm. we will need additional specialized staff members, not only for the ESG and the new reporting standards, but also for, uh, let's say, the whole fuel efficiency management and emission management and all that comes with that. So what I foresee is that we will have to increase our staff with at least four, five high-end specialists in the years to come. That will come gradually. Uh, so that will be an, an, an impact in our operational <coughs> cost within the group companies of at least 500,000 euros. Mm. Yeah. And uh, that in itself is a challenge for a company like us because uh, that's not the operational result capacity uh, purely looking at operational ship management. Eh? The mm -hmm. margins on operational ship management are not that high. So something will have to give. Mm -hmm. The question is, what will have to give? Yeah. Yeah? But uh, this uh, is a real worry, and, and we have to take that serious as well. And we can't... Uh, we can't... Uh, let's say, leave it on the table. We have to address this. Mm -hmm. yeah? Quite interesting. So you you mentioned that the life of a ship manager will get more complicated and it will get more <coughs> right? So there there is certainly a challenge for the smaller ship managers then because the staff that you just mentioned need to be carried and borne by fewer vessels, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, we don't consider us uh, uh, extremely small, but we are relatively uh, small and we already are aware of these upcoming challenges and uh, have difficulty how to organize uh, and address them. Um, yeah, and the economic impact it will have on the company. But in Holland, uh, we have lots of uh, smaller shipping companies which are very versatile and uh, high performers. Mm -hmm. uh, these typical Dutch captain owning uh, kind of uh, uh, companies. Yeah, and how they will tackle this uh, that's also a big question mark. It will need to be tackled in a collective, mm. uh, in a joint effort. But, uh, yeah. I thought exactly about these sub-10 
vessel companies, right? Yeah, yeah. So that is, uh, mm. but, but we have lots with only one or two or three vessels. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, maybe I can, yes, please. <laughs> I can add uh, something to that. And that's exactly the point. Uh, again, back to efficiency, uh, fuel efficiency. Um, currently, we are talking about consumption, right? Does the consumption meet the charter party requirements, C2C? But by 1st of January, we are talking about efficiency because depending on the size of the vessel and the consumption of the vessels, you can add the daily cost of operation in the same amount to the certificates. And then it's about, was it necessary that these auxiliary engines were running, these pumps, ETC, so you could have operated with X, Y, that ton less. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about you pay the certificates from your side? And saying that <clears throat> medium-sized vessel, medium consumption, we talk about six to 7,000 US a day for allowances. So, and as you mentioned, the fee level, the earnings on the ship management side will not uh, compensate these things. So that's the challenge from 1st January to look into how good is your crew performing and handling the fuel on board. Mm -hmm. So SEMP was ever since something we had with us, but how well was this monitored by all parties involved? Mm. All right. So then the, the, the challenge is more on board, how to, how to educate the crew to run the ship in a more efficient way. That is, the, that is the challenge at hand, and then the rest is happening more or less on land. Um, which brings us back to Frederick, actually. <laughs> so, uh, Frederick, uh, we have now heard from uh, European-based shipping companies, um, and uh, what are your recommendations to owners to reduce their financial exposure to EU ETS? It's um, it's uh, just uh, first remarks and again thanks very much to Capital Link for the nice gathering uh, and invitation. Um, actually, shipping is already in ETS because uh, we, the, the previous panel was mentioning about FSRU and FSRU is a ship, but it was classified in the permanent mm -hmm. established ship. And actually, FSRU are today already covered by the EU ETS uh, when they are uh, uh, in Europe and operating in, in Europe. Um, so no, obviously, the, the, the EU ETS is, uh, is a financial market, uh, and uh, the EU is a, is a regulated product, financial regulated product. So obviously, like every market, I think the first and foremost recommendation would be to get acquainted with the market and what is driving the market. I think that's, uh, that's an obvious uh, comment. Um, like it was also mentioned, uh, clearly, the documentation should be, uh, uh, you know, put in place. Uh, uh, and obviously, we are talking about w whether it's the compliant entity will be the ship owner or the dock entity holder. I think it's important that e that charter parties are obviously covering this uh, particular item, and that also the shipman co between the ship owner and the dock entity holder is also um, fully updated and covering that uh, particular angle. Um, I would say third, it would be very important to make sure that the emissions on board are, are basically uh, monitored uh, in the most, uh, in the most uh, I would say, uh, detailed way so that you don't wait the yearly 
publication to know what, uh, what, uh, what, what were the, the emissions. Uh, we saw this year that it was the first publication in June and then an amendment in, in September. So clearly, uh, clearly, to be able to monitor in details your emission so that you can actually pass the cost to the charters on a voyage basis, that's obviously something important. Um, and then, obviously, to, to prepare your compliance strategy, which depends on your, obviously, your profile. If you, the, 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 your approach will not be the same if you're a liner or if you're uh, operating in tramping business. Your, um, if you are, uh, uh, your trading pattern will also be important. And then it's a question to, then, based on all that, to establish what are the, what could be the, um, uh, the trading procurement strategy. Here, three big, I would say, approaches. Uh, that can be uh, mixed, actually. You, you can make an approach on the volume based, based on your MRV report from last year. You can obviously uh, make a trading uh, a procurement approach on, based on the, um, on the price and optimizing your entry point, clearly, using the usual tools. And uh, we are today well below the 200 DMA, uh, and it's clearly a signal to enter that market. Um, and obviously, last not least, the timing of the purchase, which should be triggered by the uh, moment you can pass the uh, cost of the EUA to your charters, so that for an owner it will be basically financially neutral. And, and, uh, and obviously that can be uh, different, this timing can be different if it's a time charter, it's a void charter, but it's very important to, uh, to have that in mind so that the, um, it can be done in the most efficient way. Um, uh, that's, that's, I would say, the, 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 the recommendation. Uh, transparency, obviously, uh, is very well, uh, should be uh, underlined. Uh, transparency in the exchange with the, the charters uh, and, uh, and in obviously the, the, the pass, passing the cost through. Uh, there are also mechanisms in terms of trading price reference, market price reference, that can provide a full transparency on the cost that the owner is about to, to pass to the, uh, to, the, to the charters. So all these, I would say, are the basic, I would say, guidelines mm -hmm. and recommendations we could, uh, we could, uh, we could make. Um, and obviously, that's, um, that's, uh, we are there to support. Yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned transparency is important, um, data correctness. <clears throat> oh yeah, obviously emission emission uh, emission uh, is is uh, monitoring and tracking your emission is obviously very important. Yeah. But uh, uh, when I was referring to transparency, I'm more talking about pricing, market pricing. Uh, you know, the charters would say, "Why did you buy at that level?" Mm -hmm. You know, okay, was it a good decision or not? No, the idea would be to eventually make reference to prices, benchmarks, so to speak. Uh, you can take the 20 DMA, for example, yeah. which is equivalent to a one month calendar uh, month uh, that could be used as a price reference for time charter. You're invoicing your charters on a, on a monthly basis. Uh, you can use the settlement price that mm -hmm. is published every day, uh, which is the average of, uh, of uh, during the 15 minutes before the market is closing. So that's all these various elements can be used as a reference price to make sure that again that can be that is fully transparent towards your charters and he will he will be able to to acknowledge that and to admit that it's it's the price reference to be taken. Mm, yeah, the, it sounds like a quite administrative and commercial process. Um, <laughs> 
We, are, we here in Europe just understood how it works, but shipping is international. Uh, Frederica, what do you think, what are the main challenges for the non-European shipping companies and how can they meet this challenge? I mean, in many ways, they are similar to uh, European ship owners' challenges. You need to understand the regulation, but obviously, if you're not here and you're not used to how Europe thinks and acts and you're not speaking the language and so on, it gets more complicated. So applying for a union registry account, for example, if you don't have a legal entity on the ground in Europe, if you don't have a European bank account, it's a challenge currently. So kind of the administrative hurdles are getting bigger, plus you probably have less of worth of mouth between, word of mouth between uh, companies, you have less uh, networks into the public administrations and so on. So we're currently being approached especially by, by Asian shipping companies who face exactly that and we are, we are trying to help with, with, despite us being a software company, we're trying to help with con consulting services to, to help them uh, cope with this. But I think uh, yesterday night I had a discussion whether someone who's just ignoring it could escape it and, and I don't think that's, that's going to happen. So um, uh, again, I think it, it's, um, it's also about, um, we had this on the energy panel, right? If, if, if something needs to happen, we should also partner. I think helping each other and helping the international partners, I think shipping is such an international industry, um, actually is called for for ETS. I mean, there's, it's not much about competitive advantage currently. It's, it's about m managing the process together. And I think, yeah, it calls for partnerships here. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, interesting. So... Um, and, and just building on that, what should be my, if I hadn't done anything yet, what should be my last minute preparations? Call 044, obviously, but uh, no, uh, I think, <laughs> I think uh, work on those charter agreements, really, at least for those ships that are really trading into the European <clears throat> Union in January, you should have something in legal writing because it mm. can be a lot, about a lot of money. I would yeah. do that first. Right, okay, very good. Thank you, Frederick. That, that was the recommendation section. Um, and then, uh, Frederick, I have a final question on the EU ETS right now. And, uh, Frederick, on the prices, what is your expectation? Where will the prices go? I wish I had the crystal ball. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously, no, it's a, it's, a, you know, it's a system. The EU ETS is a system that is working for the, that has been in place for industry and aviation since many years. It's working because we have seen the emission level reduced in Europe. Unfortunately, with the Ukrainian war, uh, suddenly people burning coal again. That didn't work out uh, that well for the last uh, couple of years. But uh, it's working. The, so the EU is controlling. It's a market. It's a financial market, but it's, a, it's not working like a normal financial market because EU is controlling the supply and the demand. Uh, via, it would be too long here to get into the detail of the market stability reserve, reduction of linear reduction factor, etc., etc. But it, it, it clearly, they, they are willing to bring that market towards the abatement cost, which obviously is going to be different depending on which company we are talking about. And, and clearly, structurally, we see that market going, uh, going up. If you look at the, at the um, uh, forward curve, uh, price curve, uh, it is, uh, it's in a steep uh, contango. Um, clearly, we have seen uh, recently a drop in the price uh, due to reduced emission, um, obviously, and, and uh, the, the, the commitment of traders that is published every Wednesday is showing that the net commitment of traders is, is still bearish with uh, shorts 
being uh, in majority. So clearly, we, we see that 23 is probably, 23, 24 is probably going to be still sidelined or bearish. But clearly, as from 25, with all the elements, additional elements that are getting into place, the CBAM, for example, very important. I mean, it's uh, the, the, the certificate that will, be, uh, that will be used for the CBAM um, and that will have to be purchased. The price will be, indexed on the, on the, will be indexed on the EU ETS. And as you have no way to cover yourself when you have to buy uh, a CBAM certificate, you will buy an EUA to cover to edge your, your exposure on the CBAM, uh, under the CBAM system. Mm -hmm. So clearly, all these elements are important. And structurally, uh, in a nutshell, this market is, is, uh, go, is going to go up in the, uh, in the next few years. That's, uh, that's uh, not, a, not a question. <clears throat> right. So that's, uh, that's the LA that we all have to walk. Um, but avoiding CO2 emissions, that's another matter. And uh, I'd like to move a little bit away from EUTS and uh, trying to, to reduce carbon emissions at the source. And uh, Sander, you have uh, a very, let's say, particular strategy on that. Uh, do you want to, can you shed some, high, some light on that, how, how you do that? Yeah. Um, well, operating our existing vessels, mm -hmm. which on average are, well, uh, relatively old vessels already. Mm -hmm. Most of these feeder vessels have been designed, developed prior to the uh, 2008 crisis. Yeah, and what they all have in common, and all the feeder vessels of our competitors have in common, is that they are all widely overpowered. Yeah, if I look at, for instance, one of the vessels we are very proud of, the CITAS 178 vessel, we have the Elysee. That's a vessel which can easily do 20 and a half knots surface speed. And we only do that 1% at a time. And not because we need to or want to, but by mistake. Yeah? <laughs> so it's totally ridiculous. We are sailing around with a huge main engine which can never be operated in an optimal manner. So that is something we need to address. So we can talk about CII, we can talk about EU ETS, but the real topic is how to manage the extent of our fuel consumption and therefore our emissions. And we do that, of course, with a whole wide range of measures, short-term, mid-long-term orientated, but also long-term. But the thing you refer to, and that's maybe a bit more accepted, compared to what others are doing, we decided to invest in carbon capture technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, last month, we finalized the installation of our 10th vessel with the Dutch-supplied filtry system, to which the carbon capture uh, installation is an add-on. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And that allows us the optionality for carbon capture in the nearby future. These systems are operational, but there is not yet an economic model for it. So, uh, of course, you need two to tango. Eh? It's a, a matter of, um, well, teaming up with your chartres, uh, starting up that process, bringing it into practice, testing it, and get ready for the future. And I think that can really be a game changer. And I strongly believe that we will not be able to meet the industry targets without carbon capture. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah? 
clearly, yes. Uh, especially with, with so fast vessels. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a specific problem while operating uh, the older generation of container feeder vessels. Yeah. And there might be also a market for fast feeder vessels, so let's, uh, let's not deny that, right? So, um, but how was the response of your charterers? So when, uh, when they heard uh, you were investing in CCS? Well, they largely agree with our vision, and actually they are investing themselves. Okay. If you look at Beachy Freight, Samskip, uh, some others as well, they are actually making the, this move uh, for their own owned tonnage already, yeah? So uh, there's a wide consensus. Uh, but there's also still a hurdle to overcome. In the current regulations of EU ATS, there is not yet the possibility to deduct for captured carbon, at least not in a pragmatic manner. It's allowed under certain conditions when it's uh, stored in the ground, but that's yeah, a holistic idea because it's not yet available. That will be 26, mm -hmm. chemically bound. Uh, not clear yet how that to interpretate. Before the end of the year, uh, they have to come with uh, delegated acts to uh, clarify that. And uh, what we will rely on is to uh, reuse the carbon we have captured, and that is not yet uh, an, 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 let's say the third way that is uh, accepted under the EU ETS. So, and that has to be overcome. And there have been proposals that uh, uh, before the end of 24, the Commission has to come with new proposals also to allow for this third way. Mm -hmm. And then we have an economic model for our carbon capture, and then it will be uh, widely <coughs> used both by, uh, by, by uh, uh, tonnage suppliers like us and charters who have invested in this technology themselves. Yeah. So that's the future, we, in, at least in our industry, but uh, we are not uh, there yet to economically use it at a wider scale. Mm. Okay, I see that. Um, clearly understandable. Uh, so let's hope for EU to uh, catch up with the regulation on carbon capture and storage. Um, Tim, you, you run a very diversified fleet uh, with uh, several different interests. So what is your take on CCS technology? Would it be um, a solution for your fleet or for parts of the fleet? I think uh, for reaching the targets on, on reducing uh, CO2, we need to look in, in various options and it's a proven technology, at least on, on, on shore. Um, as we are here on Capital Link and it's about capital and uh, diversified fleet, uh, it's something I need to sell to investors. And if you ask me on, 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 on that technology, um, I have then started to make the mass on when I use a different fuel, which is more expensive than uh, the fuel I currently burn, for example, biofuel. So how far do I get until I have spent the amount of money I spent into this technology, especially for, uh, mm -hmm. for vessels in operation? So that's where I um, agree on that it makes sense for a certain size of vessels, certain traits, and as you said, uh, Sander, it needs to be reused. 
Mm. So if it's just stored, okay, I have solved part of the problem, but um, as chemical industry is usually using uh, CO2 for, for various uh, topics, if we can establish a circular economy where, um, especially in Europe, on feeder trades, you can discharge it and there is a, there is a need, then it makes sense as well from the investment point of view. But if I have the opportunity, and of course then it's about availability, burning biofuel, paying slightly more, but how many years can I trade mm. until I have reached the investment of uh, carbon capture technology on board of the vessels? Yeah. Very clear. Yes, absolutely. So depends very much on the business case and then, of course, on EU's regulations. Um, we have about three minutes left. I have dozens of questions prepared, but I want to give you, the audience, the opportunity to uh, ask the question, uh, some questions to the panelists. So um, what are your thoughts around carbon emissions and uh, what might be your questions that are burning um, and the panelists might answer? We need to do this exercise from Knut again, probably. <laughs> so. <clears throat> then um, it's time to wrap up. So this was the All About Carbon panel. And uh, the highlights are, it's, time, it's high time to get things organized, um, contracts and reporting to be in place. And then it's about energy efficiency, all about energy efficiency. Any ton that's not burned is not being emitted. Obviously, and then it's about the skill. Education on shore and on on land uh, is important in order to get the reporting right and also to to send uh, to increase the awareness for uh, CO2 emissions. And then finally, uh, carbon capture and storage we discuss here, and it might be an option when you eat, uh, when you uh, includes this into the reporting scheme, and of course the business case must work for the trade that we are in. Thank you so much, and a great big hand for all the panelists. Thank you. Thank you.